I want you, if you've got your Bible in your hand, just hold it up. Bible's in the air. You brought your Bible to camp. That's the best. I, I love the Bible. Do you love the Bible? amazing. We open God's Word, and maybe camp is a little different for you because cell phones have been left on the bus or with your camper. This is the greatest detox of all time. If your youth pastor has not taken your cell phone, um, you should pray for them. And I'm not even joking. Being away from our phones for a few days is one of the greatest spiritual fasts that you could ever do. And so, Amen. We bring a copy of God's Word, and, and maybe you don't normally take like a regular Bible to church, but can I challenge you to do your devotions out of a regular Bible? Take a, a regular Bible to church, like, like down with fake Bibles. I'm, 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 I'm all excited about like the, the one guy with the cell phone Bible and the I, iPad. That's all, it's all great. I love it. It's amazing. But I've never one time had a pop-up notification happen while I was reading this. And if I did, trust me, you'd be hearing about it. When I'm reading God's word, I'm able to, I'm able to highlight things, and, and, and you're close enough to see that, that when God is speaking things to me, I'm, I'm able to write it here in the margin, and, and these notes don't go away when I get a new phone. Um, they're right here, and one of the most important things that I own, or actually several, are Bibles that my grandfather and great-grandfather and great-great-grandfather and, and men of God who have impacted my life and, and women of God who've impacted my life greatly. I have copies of their Bibles. And sometimes I just open them and I read what God was speaking to them when they were my age. And, and my grandfather's Bible, he has notes in it from when he was your age, and it's just absolutely incredible, something important something special, something honoring about just getting into God's word without distraction. And um, how interesting to, to think that on planet earth today, there's still one third of the population that doesn't have a copy of God's word in their language. One third of the population has not yet heard the gospel. There's still a third of us that don't have what you and I have the honor of holding right here. And uh, Piney Woods is doing an incredible job of taking the gospel outside the borders of the United States of America. And um, our friends at pray.com are, are doing their best to get the Bible in the hands of people who don't even have it in their own language yet. And so... Um, if you want to talk to me a little bit more about that, we've got some shirts and some info about that out here in this side of the lobby. Not after the service, but, but at some point tomorrow morning or before the service tomorrow night, I want you to check that out and, and really pray about how God could use you to take this book to people who don't have it the way that you do. This is the word of God. Every single word in it is inspired. This is God's mind on paper. It is relevant to every situation. It is relevant for every generation. It is the inspired word of God. Now, while every word is inspired, the chapter numbers and the verse numbers not inspired. Those were added later to make it a little easier for us to dig in and find things uh, more readily and quickly. And so these sections that we're studying in Matthew chapter 5 are not disconnected. Jesus began to explain in the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, at the beginning of chapter 5, to current and potential disciples 
This is what it means to be my follower. You want to become a citizen of my kingdom? Here's the character. Here's what it looks like, and we call those the Beatitudes. And so we're going to read those together at the beginning of Matthew chapter 5, the words of Jesus, verse number 2. He opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And these last two are transitionary. Watch this. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. What do we do when that happens? Jesus said, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. When we are persecuted, we have this tendency to withdraw from the situation. It's our natural inclination to fight or to flight. But Jesus says to that, no, you have an important role to play even in a world that persecutes you. Uh, And because you play that role in the world, the role of salt and light, get this, the world will persecute you. Jesus said, yea, all that live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. You are the salt in a world that is decaying because of the corruption that sin brings. And I believe that we see three major things in scripture that sin is doing every day. And we took a look at the first one of those last night. The world is decaying because sin is corrupting. Sin is a corrupting power, and you are the salt of the earth. You're like salt on a piece of meat. You're slowing down the corruption and helping make it possible for people to trust in Jesus. In other words, where Christians exist, things change. Crime rates start to plummet. Like in the year 1904, a revival began in the country called Wales under the ministry of a young evangelist, 26 years old. His name was Evan Roberts. And the after effects of what God did through a revival that happened through the ministry of this young guy in this one city was measured between the years of 1902 and 1907. Because of a revival that broke out, I don't want you to miss this, because of a revival that broke out in the church, crime rates plummeted by 50%, drunkenness plummeted by 50%, and criminal sentencing plummeted by over 50% because God was doing something in the church. The world is decaying. It's getting worse. It's getting worse. I don't know if you missed it last night, but it's getting worse, y'all. And you are the salt of the earth. And where salt is sprinkled, the effects are visible. But sin is doing more than just corrupting the culture. We just can't move on from this until we fully realize that no matter how public, no matter how private, 
No matter how big, no matter how little, no matter how understandable, no matter how relatable your sin is, get this, sin always destroys. Sin sin is seeking to destroy you. It destroys. Where sin is present, something has to die. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, Wherefore, by one man sin entered into the world, and death comes by sin, so that death passed upon all men. Why? Because all have sinned. Who sinned? Say it. All, all means all, and that's all that all means. I sinned, you sinned, we all sinned, and death comes because of sin. Maybe you've heard uh, the phrase, the seven deadly sins. You've heard about that. I mean, that sounds like, like dark, the seven deadly sins. All sin is deadly, but, but these are, are relatable. They're things we can identify with. Maybe let's take a look at how sin is destroying us. Did you know that you can have a beautiful relationship that is filled with love and with life, but when lust enters the equation, it destroys love. Lust destroys love every single time. Seven deadly sins, number one on the list, say it. Hey, you got it. You, know, you can have a body that is full of health and full of life, but allow gluttony to enter the equation. And you'll eat yourself straight into heart disease. And the very substance that God intended to sustain life will be the thing that ultimately takes life. Gluttony destroys health. You can have all of your needs met. In fact, you could live in the United States of America where if we gathered up all of our poorest citizens, according to a 2022 study, all of our poorest citizens, put them inside the boundary of another country, that country would instantly become one of the richest countries in the world. You can have all of your needs met, but let greed enter the equation, and your desire for more and more and more and more will ultimately make you poor. Because covetousness kills contentment. You can have every opportunity in front of you in the world. You're young right now, and it seems like all you have in front of you is time. But let sloth enter the equation, laziness, and you will slack your way right into suffering, I promise you, because slack always leads to lack. You can live at peace with all men. The Bible says if a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. But let wrath enter the equation and anger will destroy your mind. Anger is like a cancer that starts over one small situation and builds to the point that sometimes people are angry at people that they don't even understand why they're mad at them. They just feel like they're supposed to be mad. And if you don't believe me, turn on any news station. Republicans mad at Democrats. This guy mad at that guy. This girl mad at that girl and they don't even know why they're mad at each other they just know that it started with one small thing and it built and that's what wrath does you can well you can have good relationships with with most people but envy will destroy relationships with every person that you've ever called friend always wanting what they have until you don't even have them anymore know this sin destroys and envy kills relationships. Oh, and here, here's, the, here's the big one. Here's the big one. Pride. 
I mean, you could hear it just even in that moment, saying the one word, and everybody went, hmm. Pride, where you have increased and they have decreased. There's no one smarter than you. There's no one more important than you. No one else really matters as much as you do. And the Bible says that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride will destroy you. And some of us are wrestling with this and we don't even realize it because we're not that guy that's like, I'm faster than everyone. I'm better looking than everyone. I'm smarter than everyone. Some of us have pride in the form of false humility. Nobody's as bad at this as me. Nobody's situation is as horrible as mine. I'm more worse than you. More worse? That's not even good English. See, I'm not even as smart as anyone. Pride. It'll destroy you, friend. Sin, when it enters the equation, begins to destroy. And where sin is present, something always has to die. But the contrast to sin, we saw it last night, is salt. In a world of lust, Christians are an influence of love. And in a world of gluttony, Christians are an influence for moderation. In a world of greed, Christians help those in need. In a world of sloth, it's the believers who are serving. In a world of wrath, it's the follower of Christ who is known for their love and for being kind. In a world filled with envy, the follower of Christ is content. And in a world of pride, it's the Jesus lover that is humble. And let me tell you, friend, it's not all about a checklist of things we do. It's who we are. We're the salt of the earth. And it's not natural to the world. And it's not, it doesn't make sense to them. They're like, why would you do that when pride is more fun and envy is easier and it is so simple to be mad at folks? The reason why is because they're still of their father, the devil. And just like, just like you, if I were to remove you from your family and place you in another home for several months to several years, we would come back and find you, and you would still be doing things that would be identifiable as, yeah, you get that from your dad. You get that from your mom. Because those genetics, they don't just go away. But the follower of Christ has been born again. New father, new spiritual DNA, new traits that we are known by. In other words, when people look at you, they go, I don't know why they're so nice to me when I've been so mean to them. They must get that from their father. That looks, that looks an awful, you know what? I'm a preacher's kid. I told you last night, fourth generation preacher's kid just means I'm four times as messed up as most people. And I can spot a preacher's kid from a mile away. Something just extra rebellious about preacher's kids. There's like three of you in the room right now. Where's Monroe's son? Yeah. All of them. I look at him. I look at him just walking around the camp and I go, that's Monroe's kid. Pastor Monroe and his perfect kids. There they are. I look at him and I, I, I know, I know, I know what it's like to live that life and I, I can pick them out because I know who their dad is. Sin destroys, but look at this. The follower of Christ is salt. Not only that, sin darkens. And that's why Jesus says, 
right here in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, you are the light of the world. And a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Just like the contrast to decay is salt, the contrast to darkness is light. Notice right here, it's the presupposition of Jesus. He doesn't say, the world is dark. He doesn't have to say that. It's one of those, it goes without saying things. You are the light, which must mean the world is filled with darkness. Did you see it? Yeah, you got it. Did you see it? Bad light or good light, it's who you are. And just like it was with the salt last night, that you, you are, you are, that, that pronoun is plural. Like by yourself, not extremely bright, but all of us together, we can light up the world. You, it's plural. Um, the pronoun there, like last night, it's emphatic. It's right now. You and you only are the light of the world. And you're the only light that some people may ever see. And what a beautiful compliment this verse is. I don't know if you even fully realize it yet. Jesus never once in his ministry on earth claimed to be salt. He, he never said that. Jesus never said, I am the salt of the world. He said, you are. But there are, there are three things in Scripture called light in addition to you. Look at this. God is light. In fact, Psalm 36 verse 9 says, For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. God is light. And when we are the light of the world, what we're doing is we're shining the light of God's existence. Because of your life, people should be able to quickly see God is real. God is light. Look at this. The word is light. Psalm 119, 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light unto my path. And so as the light of the world, you are shining the light of God's truth. Lies should not be able to exist in the same equation as the Christian. Where believers go, lies are exposed. Where believers go, truth is priority and truth is preeminent. And that's the reason why things are happening in your culture and in your generation. There are entire groups of people trying to redefine words. And they're trying to redefine words and make them up for interpretation. Because if you can redefine what is a man, you can redefine what is a woman, you can ultimately wage a full assault on what is truth. And if nobody understands what is definite truth, nobody trusts that the Bible is the ultimate truth. It's an attack on you. It's an attack on the church. It's an attack on scripture. And it's an assault on the very image and knowledge of God. You are the light of the world and we shine the light of truth. Period. No question. Not up for interpretation. If God said it, I believe it. Done. God's word is truth. God is light, the word is light, and Jesus is light. In fact, in John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. 
And whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. When we live as Christians, we shine the light of the gospel, the good news that Jesus is the Son of God, that he came, that he was born of a virgin, that he lived a perfect, sinless life, that he died on a cross near Calvary to pay the penalty for your sin, that he rose again from the grave three days and three nights later, and that he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God today, interceding for you and for me. Get this, when Christians live as Christians exist. We exist for a purpose, to glorify God and fulfill the great commission. We shine the light of the gospel. You are the light of the world, but it's not because you're awesome. It's not because you're extremely bright. It's not because of your talents or your skill set or your good looks. I love how the apostle Paul put it in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 5. He said, what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. For with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake, God said, let light shine out of darkness. And he has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What he's saying, what scripture is affirming, and what I'm preaching to you tonight is the contrast to darkness is light. And if God is light, and he is, and if the Bible is light, and it is, and if Jesus is light, and he is, then darkness could be defined as anything that is anti-God, wicked, evil, judgment, or death. But I have good news tonight. God is not intimidated by your darkness. God knows where the darkness is. God knows what darkness does. And God rules even in the dark. So, if you are a child of God, and notice the big if. We keep coming back to this if last night, tonight, and every night of this week at Piney Woods. If you are born again, if you are saved, you have been delivered from darkness into his glorious light. Your father is not scared of the dark. Your father knows everything there is to know about the dark. And your father is sovereign and in control of everything, even the dark. Watch this. If you've got your Bible, go to the book of Ephesians. Let's just flip over to the book of Ephesians chapter 5. I don't want you to miss this. A great passage on light. And in verse number 7 of Ephesians 5... Here's what the Bible says. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now, but now you are light in the Lord. So walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part... Take no part. How? Take what part? 
take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Pastor John, why do you talk about things that most people don't talk about? Why do you point out things that some, like maybe even some like, like pastors that I've seen on social media are scared to talk about? Because the Bible compels me to do so. Take no part in the things of the dark, but rather expose them. For it's shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. And don't be foolish. But what? But do what? I don't want to be a fool. What do I do then? Understand what the will of the Lord is. If we make this sermon about being salt and being light a path to this is how to be right with God, we have problems all throughout this text. It's not that. This salt and light life is what a person who is right with God looks like and lives like. And within view of Jesus teaching Matthew chapter 5, we call it the Sermon on the Mount, it's likely that there would have been just behind him this city called Safed. Now, different Bible scholars agree or disagree on whether it was this city or another city, and, and that's really not as important as the fact that from the Mount of the Beatitudes where I have stood Everywhere you look in the distance, you can see cities set on the hill just like this one. And possibly, as Jesus was preaching about you are the light of the world, a city on a hill cannot be hidden, he would have pointed in the rear view and said, like this city. See that? The thing about a city set on a hill is once you've seen it, You can't unsee it. You can't take your eyes off of it, especially at night, because light is captivating. Light draws people in, like a deer in headlights. You've heard about a deer in headlights? Like a moth to a porch light, like a cat to a laser light, like a seventh grade boy to a television light, like an eighth grade girl to a ring light. Light is attractive. Somebody said, ooh, light's attractive. Light is noticeable. Light is unmissable, and it changes everything around it. So the question we have to ask tonight is, how do I know if I'm light? How do I know? Because if Jesus says, you are the light of the world, if Jesus says, a city on a hill cannot be hidden, and I look at my life, and I feel hidden, and I feel obscure, and I feel like darkness reigns in my mind, heart, emotions, and very soul, it would be important to know if I'm the light. And so we got to ask, how do I know if I'm lit? Here it is. Thank you for the 20 people who laugh at the... I put youth pastor jokes in there for you. You're welcome. How do, how do I know? Note takers ready. How do I know if I'm lit? Here it is. What does light do? Light wakes you up. Because you are the light, we read it in the text in Ephesians chapter 5, you're awake. Uh, here, Paul is 
condensing Isaiah chapter 60 verses 1 and 2 in this quote. And he's saying darkness is for laying down. Darkness is for depression. Darkness is for blindness. Darkness is for sleep. But you're the light of the world. So Jesus is the sun. You are the moon. And even in the darkest of night, Christians aren't laying down. Christians aren't quitting. Christians aren't going to sleep on the job. Christians are the light of the world that reflects the glory of God's Son everywhere that they are. Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead. Chances are this morning at some ungodly hour, your youth leader decided it was time to awake, O sleeper. And when you got out of bed, it looked like the dead rising. And what they did was walked over to this spot on the wall next to the front door, and they did what we begged them not to do. They turned on the light. Because they know what God knows, what I want you to know tonight, light wakes us up. How do I know if I'm the light of the world? When people are laying down on the job, when they're quitting, when they're depressed and when they're dark and when they're just done, you're awake even in the middle of the night. You're saying, I never get to go to sleep. What I'm saying is as darkness sets on the world that is around you, you're not giving up. Even in the darkest of situations, in the most desperate and dire of circumstances, you are reflecting the glory of God like the moon reflects the light of the sun. How do I know if I'm the light? You're reflecting the glory of God. You're awake even at night. Get this. Not only do you need to wake up, we're walking. Light keeps us walking. We read it. We read it in the text. Did you see it? In Psalm 119, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The world is dark and the future is unknown to all but God. And he doesn't show us everything that's down the road. He just calls us to look carefully how we walk, not as unwise, but as wise. I want to be wise, don't know about you. And the answer to that is, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I don't know what next year looks like. I don't even know what tomorrow looks like. But I know that God's word illuminates one step at a time. They had no Coleman lanterns. They had no LEDs. They had a simple lamp that revealed, take the right next step. Take the right next step. Take the right next step. And those who are the light of the world are walking, when others are tripping, when others are falling, when others have the blindfold of sin and they're filled with darkness within, we're walking, we're moving, we're serving, we're going, we're reaching, we're doing, we're calling, we're loving, we're serving, we're changing because light compels us to walk. You are the light of the world. And a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Light calls us to wake up. It calls us to walk. And those who are the light of the world are a witness. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. People, I promise you, how do I know if if the light of Christ is within me? People notice it. Those closest to you notice it. People who don't know you, they notice it. 
Because when they try to cover things in darkness and hide things in shame and drown things out in secrecy, the light of the world exposes and uncovers and makes all things visible. Something about you just can't exist in a situation where lies are being told. Something about you is bothered by there are people around you who don't know the truth. So how do I know if the light is within me? What does it look like to be the light? You're awake in the darkest of times. You are walking in the dark and you are witnessing every opportunity that you get. You're telling people about Christ. You're reflecting the glory of God. You're calling them out of the shadows of sin and into the light of the knowledge of the existence of God, the truth of his word, and the good news of the gospel. My friends, can I ask you, are you reflecting Christ? When no one or when everyone is around, are you throwing shade or are you shining light? Answer? If Jesus lives inside you, you are the light of the world. So with every head